one-size-fits-all proposition. Each prayer should be as unique as each prayer, even if you're praying the same words as someone else because you are in a uniquely different place. Uh, the prayer is unique. This morning, I invite you to think about the fact that different seasons and circumstances call for different prayers. Today, I'm going to touch on four, and this is by no means an exhaustive list, but I'm going to talk uh, briefly about prayers of desperation, prayers of anticipation, prayers of preparation, and prayers of connection. As I talk, I also want you to envision in your mind a progression of prayer, whereby we understand that there are times where prayer is focused on the immediate, and there are times when prayer needs to be increasingly focused on the future. There are times when our prayers are more reactive in nature, and then there needs to also be times where our prayers are increasingly proactive in their focus. So allow me to jump in and talk about... Does that mean, did I do that or did you do that? Uh, all right, I finally got the button pushed correctly. It's hard, you know, there's just a button there and you got to push it. So anyway, uh, prayers of desperation. Um, I suspect that for the majority of people, the most natural and instinctive type of prayer are what I've chosen to call this morning prayers of desperation. Those moments of crisis or immediate felt need where we almost instinctively or perhaps actually instinctively cry out to God. Those moments where we just spontaneously express, oh God, not in a bad way, but in a good way. We just can't help but say, God, help me, rescue me, protect me. Historically, in different seasons, uh, people have referred to these as foxhole prayers. You know, when you're just in the thick of it, it is very natural in those moments of desperation to cry out to God. Very few of you can identify with this, but I'm old enough to remember when there was a big controversy in our country regarding whether or not it was legal to pray in school. Some of you are nodding your heads. Some of you can't hear me because you're old like I am. But anyway, uh, but the, the, the saying was, as long as there are tests, there will be prayer in school. You ever know those prayers of desperation sitting in a classroom when the teacher walked in and said, I don't, they probably don't do this anymore. They take out your laptop or your iPad. But for me, it was close your books, take out a blank piece of paper and your pen. We're having a quiz. But you didn't tell me. Those are moments where there's a prayer of desperation. Oh my goodness, Lord, I didn't read the chapter last night. Please help me. Um, there are numerous opportunities in Scripture. I, I looked through the Psalms, and, and don't, don't take your time to turn there, uh, but just to give you, an, I did a very, very simple search on what I call, considered a prayer of desperation. And I found Psalm 22, 19, Psalm 38, 32, Psalm 40, 13, Psalm 70, verse 1, Psalm 71, verse 12, Psalm 109, verse 26, Psalm 119, 86, and 173. As an example, in Psalm 38, 2, the writer simply says, Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior. 
Been there, done that? Oh my goodness, Lord, come and come right now. I need you desperately. The psalmist is not the only one. Uh, I, I love Isaiah chapter 6, and the setting there is Isaiah has found himself in the very throne room of God, and he has this amazing vision, and he realizes he's out of his league. He is not worthy to be where he finds himself. And he says, woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? He understood that by all experience and everything he had been taught, for him to see what he was seeing meant he was going to die. Talk about a prayer of desperation. Woe to me. I'm ruined. God, I desperately need your intervention. Another great one from the Old Testament. <laughs> I mean, do I need to explain? From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. I'm thinking I'm desperate here. Never been here before. I don't think it's a good thing. It smells bad. It's dark. It's wet. I'm just scared. He said, "My just in my distress, in my desperation, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Friends, I, I don't I don't have the delusion that I'm going to say anything that makes you feel better in the moments of desperation. I, I, I don't have that fantasy. But I do hold out the hope that I could simply remind you that yes, things may be desperate for you, but there is a great catalog of historical people who have been desperate and found some sense of resolution because they prayed prayers of desperation. The next time, and I don't mean this to trivialize anything that you face, but the next time you just think, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Take a moment, take a breath, at least I'm not in the belly of a fish. You know, really? Now, preaching to the preacher here, because that's not my first response. All right? From inside the fish, Jonah prayed. And then there's a New Testament example. In, in this passage, this woman has, this woman has a daughter who is possessed by a demon. Now, I know some of you think that about your kids sometimes. I'm not here to say one way or the other whether it's actual or not. I don't know your kids that well. But in this case, it was real. 
And it was making her daughter, and it was making her miserable. And she hears about all that Jesus is doing. And she says, just maybe, in my desperation, just maybe this guy can help. There was a problem, though. She was a Samaritan. And Jesus was a Jew. And those two ethnic groups didn't play well together. It was real. I mean, it was to the point that when she tries to approach Jesus, even Jesus said, I'm sorry, I'm a Jew, you're a Samaritan, I was sent to save the Jews. Jesus said that. He said, what I've got isn't for you. In her desperation, the woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. And Jesus did. Just think. When you pray those prayers of desperation, understand that's natural. That's normal. That should. I'm not, I'm not disparaging prayers of desperation. That should be a natural outpouring of our belief that God can make a difference. So please don't leave here thinking I'm beating up on you because you pray in desperation. If you're desperate, what do you got to lose? (laughs) Why not cry out to him? But I just want to say, moments of desperation should not be the only time we call out to our Father. Nod your heads with me like you heard that. All right? Next, I'm going to talk about prayers of anticipation. Again, just a teeny tiny bit of Bible history. In Bible times, they were always fighting. All right? And what they would do is if... If the people of Michigan were battling with, let's say, the people of Ohio, and we had great victory, we would take the leaders from Ohio and we would bring them to Michigan so they couldn't create revolt in Ohio. I mean, someone we'd probably put in the UP because they just can't, they can't even cause any trouble up there. But, but we're going to separate them, and it's called living in exile. And the people of Israel had been captured and had been taken into exile. And Jerusalem was in ruins. And in Nehemiah, we read about uh, Nehemiah was one who had been taken into exile. But because he was a sharp guy, he actually kind of had a place in the king's court in exile. And he heard how terrible things were in Jerusalem, his homeland. And he was greatly burdened that something should be done. And because of his position, God began to stir in his heart 
that perhaps he was the one to do something. Now, as I set the stage for that, it would be natural to think that that is also a prayer of desperation. He was desperate, but he took it a step further in what I call a prayer of anticipation. And I'm just going to read one verse from Nehemiah chapter 1. And the first few verses of chapter 1 of Nehemiah kind of set the stage for that. The rest of it is just a phenomenal story. Great story on leadership, great story on prayer, great story on, on focus and service. But in chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Nehemiah prays. He said, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. So in other words, let's just start out. Let's say, God, you are awesome. We revere you. We love you. We honor you. We delight in you. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And then he kind of the footnote is, I was cupbearer to the king. So what that's setting the stage for is as the cupbearer to the king of this country who, or this, uh, the king of this country who had taken over the Jews and moved them out of their homeland, Nehemiah gets to serve him daily. And what he's doing is he's anticipating that he's going to have an opportunity to plead with this king of the conquering country to go help the place he's conquered, rebuild. Now, friends, that makes no sense whatsoever. But as God stirred in Nehemiah's heart, he prayed a prayer of anticipation anticipating that he was going to have the opportunity to approach this king and to make his case. And some of you know the story, and I won't tell the whole story because we've only got a limited amount of time. But Nehemiah prayed that prayer of anticipation. And that conquering ruler said, well, you know what? That seems reasonable, Nehemiah. How about if I send you back? Or he said, what do you want? And Nehemiah said, well, I'd kind of like to go back and kind of organize people to rebuild. And Well, how long are you going to be gone? Well, I'm going to be gone this long. He says, okay, that seems reasonable. And Nehemiah thought, well, might as well push the envelope. He said, would you mind giving me, you know, a letter so that I have safe passage? Well, uh, sure. Would you mind giving me a letter so that everybody can give me the building supplies that I need? Really, dude? Sure, I will. Now, it wasn't a cakewalk. He had his challenges. But I love that Nehemiah, before he went into the king, prayed a prayer of anticipation. I think prayers of anticipation are also very natural. Many times we have a sense as to the challenges we will be facing Instead of the surprise quiz, I know I've got a final exam. I'll pray about it now. Study too, but pray. I know I've got a job interview. Pray before you get there. We know many times the challenges. My children are 10 and 11. They're going to be teenagers soon. Oh, Lord, please help me. Um, If we know what's coming... Doesn't it make sense that a proportion or a portion of our prayer life needs to be anticipating what I will face when tomorrow comes? Now, I'm not talking about worry. 
That's a whole other story, a whole other sermon series. But I'm talking about focused prayer on, Lord, I know this is coming, and I know you got this. Help me to see what you got and partner with you in that. Hear me well. As I have said repeatedly during this series, there's a lot I don't understand about prayer. But experience suggests that the more disciplined we become in praying prayers of anticipation, the less dependent we will become upon prayers of desperation. I don't understand how it works. It's not a guarantee. That's not Pastor C's formula for success in life. But there's something to that. Doesn't mean there'll never be a need for prayers of desperation. But I think preparation, anticipation makes a difference. Which brings me to the next one, and that's prayers of preparation. When you get up from your nap today, no, at some point, I invite you to read John chapter 17 this week, if, if not today. To me, John chapter 17 is an ideal illustration. There you go, in case you forgot. I'm not going to re- show you the whole chapter. There it is, John 17, in case you need to write it down, memorize it, whatever. John chapter 17. To me, it is a an outstanding example of this idea of prayers of preparation. Now again, some of you understand the setting, but just to remind us, this is Jesus praying in the garden just prior to his arrest, which will lead to his mock trial, which will lead to his beatings, which will lead to him dragging his cross through the streets of Jerusalem, which will lead to his crucifixion. This is his prayer of preparation. And he starts out in John chapter 17, and depending upon your translation, many translations literally have subheadings that say what I'm about to say. Jesus starts out in John chapter 17 praying a prayer of preparation for himself. He knew what was coming. You ever have that experience where you go in for a medical procedure and you don't expect it to be bad and it's terrible? And then you have to go back and have that procedure done again. You know what's coming the next time. Oh my goodness. Jesus knew what was coming. And in John chapter 17, the first few verses, he's praying a prayer of preparation for himself. He's saying, oh, Father, I I, I don't want to do this. This is going to be miserable. And that's an understatement. If there's any way I don't need to do this, let's let's go with that plan. But if you think this is the way, then I'm in. Prepare me. Prepare me for what's to come. Then Jesus moved on and he prayed in that prayer of preparation for his closest followers. Because he knew He knew things were going to get really tough for them. 
He knew that even though he'd been trying to tell them, they didn't understand what was coming. They didn't understand what was coming with the crucifixion. They weren't fully going to understand the resurrection. They weren't fully going to understand the ascension when they saw his resurrected body going to heaven. And all of a sudden they realize, oh my goodness, we're alone. Now it's up to us. So Jesus spent a good chunk of John chapter 17 praying a prayer of preparation for his followers. Asking God to give them what they were going to need to weather the storms that were coming. Now again, some of you know your Bible history and you know that many of those, not just the the 11 of the 12 apostles, but many of those followers were persecuted unto death. Jesus knew what was coming. He had spent three years pouring into their lives and he knew the storm was coming. And he said, God, I've I, I poured into them. You're going to pour your spirit into them, but be with them. Help them to be effective in spite of the storm. He didn't pray for them to avoid the storm. He prayed for them to be effective in the midst of the storm. And then Jesus looked out a little bit further. And he prayed for us. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for you. Because after he prayed for his immediate followers, he prayed for everyone who would believe the message that his followers took forward after he left. That's us, folks. You know, in some ways, they faced persecution. Wicked, awful persecution. Many of them martyred. But they at least saw Jesus. They literally saw him. They watched him raise the dead and heal the blind and cast out the demons. Many of them were there when he fed the thousands, when he calmed the storms. Now, I'm not saying it was easy, but at least they saw it. Jesus prayed for you and me because he knew we were being asked to believe something that was just almost incomprehensible. And we didn't even see it with our own eyes. We've got to take somebody else's word for it. Sometimes that's not easy. Diana likes to tell a story. A couple years ago, um, she came home and she said she'd seen a beaver just down the street from our house. And, and I will admit before all of you that I smiled and gave her the, oh really, nod that says, you're nuts. All right. It, I just thought, you saw a muskrat and we'll call it a beaver and I'm not going to make an argument out of this. I've admitted this to her. This is not news to her. All right. She knew, she knew me. She looked at my face and she knew I didn't believe her. Until about two days later when I'm driving by the same area and there is a tree in the road that has clearly been gnawed down by a beaver. 
Now, either Diana went down there and did that herself to make me look, believe her, or there really was a beaver, all right? Friends, when you see it for yourself, it's easier to believe. Jesus prays for us to believe with the same intensity as those who saw it literally. He prayed for that, for you and for me. Prayers of preparation. Friends, now we move into the realm of being increasingly intentionally proactive. This is something that it's easy for us to overlook. Intentionally taking time to think about offering prayers that focus on long-term growth and aligning our individual lives and our corporate lives with the purposes of God. Praying to develop spiritual disciplines instead of simply praying in response to spiritual crisis. Did you get that? Praying to develop spiritual discipline and depth instead of praying in response to spiritual crisis. Praying for sound, faithful financial management instead of for a financial bailout. How many times have we said, oh, God, help me pay this bill? Instead of saying, God, help me learn how to manage my resources in a way that's honoring to you. Prayers of preparation. Praying for, uh, preaching to the preacher here, praying for the self-control to maintain a healthy lifestyle instead of praying for the removal of an immediate affliction. Ooh, am I getting up anybody's business here? Um, you know what, if you have an, an, a physical affliction, oh, please pray to Jesus. But, what if you prayed, Lord, help me to make better choices? Year after year after year, when I would go for my, uh, twice a year, when I would go for my semi-annual physical, I would hear the same instructions. I won't tell you what they are, because I haven't done any of them. I thought, is this ever going to stop? I got a different doctor. It stopped. But anyway, um, <laughs> but when I have consequences, I'm quick to pray, Jesus, help me. But I don't often pray, Lord, help me to get my body out of bed and go for a walk. Prayers of preparation praying that we would like Jesus surrender to his will rather than praying for the realization of our will. Praying to discover our shape or our calling rather than simply finding a career or a job. Praying to utilize our spiritual gifts and abilities rather than simply filling a volunteer role. Seeking to cultivate a Christ-like character instead of counting to ten and biting our tongue. Now, please understand, counting to ten and biting your tongue can be a very good thing, and it could be very necessary. It could save you a lot of trouble. I'm not saying don't do that. But I am saying, what if we took a step back and said, what's the root of my anger? Lord, help me to deal with that. In the meantime, help me to count to ten and bite my tongue. But let's get at the root of things. 
what I'm going to say, as is often the case, is strictly my opinion. I cannot cite chapter and verse to back it up. But something in my gut tells me the more I move to strategic, intentional, proactive prayers of preparation, the more impactful my prayer life will become. Finally, I want to talk about prayers of connection. I suspect for many of us, this is something that's easy for us to neglect. Prayers of connection. Praying just because you want to spend time with your Father in heaven. To be in his presence. To share your heart and to hear his heart. Many of us, I think again about the parent-child relationship. Many of us, if our child comes and just wants to be with us and talk to us, in the back of our mind thinking, what do you really want? Because we know that generally if they come to us and just want to be in our presence, it's because they want something. What if a part of our prayer life were to be intentional about communicating with him out of the depth of our relationship as an expression of love and worship rather than to present him with our grocery list or tap into the divine ATM. Just praying to connect. The psalmist puts it in a multitude of different settings. But Psalm, what did I look at? I lost my reference. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a part, dry and parched land where there is no water. God, I, I, just, I just long for you. I, I don't want anything. I just long for you. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. God, you're just awesome. I just want to tell you that. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Wow. Prayers of connection. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. Can I just say something? That's not how I talk. That's not how I think. For me to pray a prayer of connection like that, I'm just going to use his words and make them mine. Think, this is my heart today. This is me. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Can I just invite you to think a bit about prayers of connection? Again, this is just... My gut instinct. But I suspect the more we neglect prayers of connection, 
the less likely we are to tap into the fullness of all that God desires for us. Because what he desires for us is relationship more than anything else. Because ultimately, looking into the face of God matters far more than receiving from the hand of God. As I thought about that, as I, as I worked on this message, I thought about how many of our worship songs, I started to make a list and it was just too long because it's kind of all of them. Uh, but, but I thought about how many of our worship songs are prayers of desperation. How many of our worship songs are prayers of preparation, prayers of anticipation, prayers of connection? And, and I invite you in the weeks to come as we worship, and, and for the balance of the service today, but as we worship in song, begin to understand this is not just something we do to fill time. The songs we sing in worship are an opportunity for people like me who don't have very good prayers of connection language. It's a chance for us to pour out our hearts to God in words that are very appropriate, but words we may not come up with on our own. Sentiments that may not flow naturally for us, but we can make them our own as we share together in those expressions of prayer. I also encourage you to set aside some time to think about the balance of your personal prayer life. What percentage of your time, what, excuse me, what percentage of your communication with God is grounded in prayers of desperation? What percentage are grounded in prayers of anticipation? What about prayers of preparation and connection? Now there isn't a perfect balance that I'm going to say you ought to have, but I do think there should be some semblance of balance. I would invite you to simply ask God, are there changes that he would like you to make in terms of that balance? The other thing that I want to say, and this is kind of summarizing the series in a very, 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 very simple fashion. I think I may have tucked this in in one, one of the earlier messages. When it comes to prayer, Start where you're at and make a decision to move your practice of prayer just one small step forward. Just one step. Somebody prayed this morning as we were praying in the, in the room before service. And they just thanked God that in that setting they had become a little bit more comfortable hearing their own voice in prayer, praying out loud in front of others. One small step. Now, he didn't come running to me afterwards and say, Pastor, can I pray for the offering today in front of everybody? I don't, I'm not ready for that. They may not be ready for that. But at least there was a step. And a step. And a step. And a step. And I invite you to take a step. Father, we thank you for your goodness. And Father, perhaps I've neglected this. But how amazing that you even want a relationship with us. How amazing that you even long for our communication. That you willingly hear our prayers of desperation. 
that you are open to our prayers of anticipation, that you respond to our prayers of preparation, and that you long for our prayers of connection. So, Father, help every one of us to just take one step. Thank you, Father. Amen.